Father, as we come to open Your Word this morning, we ask, Lord, that You would open our hearts, that You would minister to us through Your Holy Spirit, each of us, Lord, coming with all our different needs and, and different situations, but Lord, realizing that in You, You're able to make it work for all of us this morning. And so we ask, Lord, that You would uh, cause us to draw close to You, close together as we study Your Word together. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Or be sharing just uh, just two scriptures this morning, one from Romans uh, chapter fourteen verse ten, and the other from First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven verse twenty eight, and uh, you'll see how those come together in just a few minutes. Chapter fourteen of Romans verse ten. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The key here that I'm looking at is let a person examine himself. The last few couple of weeks, or a few weeks actually, we've uh, talked about the judgment seat of God, the judgment seat of Christ. And I want you to understand that this is referring to believers that will come and ultimately uh, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll be held accountable for the way we built on the foundation that, that the apostles and, and Paul and the apostles the gospel has laid. And Paul makes that really clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I know these are verses that we went over, but I'd like to just share them one more time this morning, starting with verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than what is which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, that's the, the picture here of the, the, the we come before the judgment seat of Christ, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that one anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we're not talking about a judgment of salvation, but we're talking about a judgment in the sense of what we have done with what God has given us as believers. And a lot of times we, we don't think much about that, but uh, Paul really makes it clear that this is important. And this is this idea of coming back and examining ourselves. And there's other scriptures that talk about proving and testing. And they're basically the same word. The idea that, that we are responsible to, to, to look at what God has given us and self-exam. In other words, look at what we are doing. Does it measure up to what God wants? 
And of course, the key always being that as people created in the image of God, now His children, our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy our relationship with Him. So we can, it becomes a pretty simple standard to come up to. Is what I'm doing glorifying God? Is it causing you know, God to be glorified in my life? And is it causing there to be a joy in the sense of my, my walk with God? And uh, last week I even mentioned the idea of this idea, the, the thought of enjoying our walk with God, uh, enjoying our relationship with God. It's something that I don't know that we think about very often. Because we normally think about serving, going to church, and, and all the things that, that go with it, but we, we don't necessarily sit down and say, today I'm going to enjoy God. And I want to suggest to you that that is something that we should do. And I'm as guilty as anybody else. I don't, it's not necessarily the way I start my day, but uh, I think of, of, of a friend of, of, that... Uh, I, I would go to Mexico with, and because we both had CPAPs, you know, we're the old people who can't breathe on our own at night, uh, and so they put us in this together in our homes and stuff. He woke up every morning, thank you, God, for the day that you have given me. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That was the first words out of his mouth every morning. Almost made me angry simply because I knew that that's, that was good and I wasn't doing it. And it, it's that reality of, of just being thankful from the moment you wake up. You know, to live is, is, is Christ, to die is gain, but He's given me life for today here. And so how am I going to use it to glorify Him and to grow in my joy of Him? So what we build on this foundation that Paul says has been laid, the foundation of Christ, the gospel, and there is only one gospel message, and it ties to, together in the concept of the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, His ascension into heaven, His virgin birth, the gospel. Man is a sinner, desperately needs a Savior. He cannot save himself. Without Christ there is no hope. The good news, the gospel, is Jesus Christ has come to save us. And if we will confess Him as our Lord and, uh, and, and, and receive Him in our heart, the reality is, is that we will be saved. We will become the children of God. And there's the gospel. But that's the foundation. As soon as we are saved, that foundation is in place in our lives. Now, what do we build on it? And that's what needs to be examined on a regular basis. And this word examined in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 28 isn't just to be used at the time of communion. In other words, we don't wait for communion to examine our hearts. The idea of the word examine here, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, is that it is a continuous thing that goes on continuously. As often as we think about it, we are to come before God and say, Lord, you know, uh, Either is there something I'm missing or something I should be doing or, or you know, this type of thing. And then the idea of examining and, and coming to reality if there's any sin in my life that needs to be confessed. And, and we don't need to wait for Sunday or, or, you know, in some churches you have to wait until you go to the confession box or, or some other kinds of things that go on. 
And no, this is something that is in a continuous relation that's supposed to be ongoing with our walk with Christ daily and even really continuously, even in the day. So we, we look at this and, and, and realize that, that we build on this foundation. What lasts is what is done to the glory of God and, to, and, and in the purpose of, of enjoying our relationship with Him. This is what lasts. That's what's the gold and the silver and the precious stones. The stuff we do in our own strength and in our own way and, and, and without thinking about God is the wood, hay, and the stubble or the straw. And again, it's an amazing verse to think about. If anyone's work is burned up, and the idea there is, is that it's all wood, hay, and straw, he will suffer the loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, it, it, he still comes through the fire. And, and I think I drew this picture the other uh, a couple of weeks ago, but the idea of coming through the fire is, is that the biggest and most important factor here isn't rewards and stuff, but is the reality that nothing of sin can remain. Because as soon as... as, as the new heaven, the new earth. And it was, as soon as the marriage, as soon as we're ushered into all of that, there is no hint of sin. There is no hint of shadow or darkness. It's it's so so that fire is necessary to purge us of the dross, if you will, that's there. And somebody say, well, what gold could possibly be left? The grace of Christ and His salvation and the Holy Spirit in us. So uh, don't don't you know don't lose sight of that. But we are to be desiring to move towards Him, to grow in Him, to glorify Him, to enjoy Him. Our mission statement. If you go online to our website, it says proclaiming. Our our, our mission statement. Our mission is to is proclaiming, embodying, and enjoying the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform our community and the world all to the glory of God. And so we're in a building process, personally, collectively. And I want you to notice I said process. It's not a single event. We don't just one day go out and raise a barn. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a lifelong process of building and I will suggest that there are times when we find ourselves unbuilding or remodeling or something like that in a sense of, of realizing, oh, this hasn't quite come together. Why? Well, because uh, you know, I better understand now who God is than I did then, and this needs to be adjusted. This needs to be changed. And so it's a lifelong process. This process of building is what we're to be evaluating. And we don't build like the world builds. First off, because we have the foundation of Christ. We have the foundation of the gospel. Uh, the world doesn't build on, they build on whatever they want. We sang a song. What, what is the world building on? Shifting sand. We're building on the solid rock. So all those, all the, already there's a major difference going on. But what we put on our foundation is supposed to be different than what we put what the world puts on theirs. Again, first and foremost, our motive is different. We want to glorify God. We want to enjoy our relationship with God. And so we're building, in a sense, in such a way to accomplish that. 
So in order to build for Christ, the builder cannot be like the world. We can't be the same as the world is. So we find ourselves being what Christ said we would be. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Our first act of building is to enter into this process of, 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 of building. And another word for it could be sanctification. The idea of sanctification, to become like Christ, set apart for God. Sanctification. We are justified, found right before God in the court of law. His wrath is removed, but we're in the process of being made like Him. And so we enter into this process of sanctification. And one of the pictures that have been presented by Paul that we are really familiar with because I've preached on it and come back to it several times is Romans chapter 12, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are to be in the process of offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Our purpose? To be transformed. That's more than just to be changed. I know I've preached on it many times. You've heard sermons and Bible studies on it. But it's never bad, you know. To it's always good. Let's put it that way. Uh, be positive here. It's always good to be reminded of what it means to be transformed, and that is to be uh, to be made new, a new creature in Christ. We're not we're not the same as we were. We're not only changed, but we are literally the frog to the you know the tadpole to the frog. A metamorphosis goes on. We're not the same, and so. In a sense, the tadpole is the world. The frog is the the believer. We've made that transformation. Butterfly and and, and caterpillar maybe is more attractive. But still the song uh, that uh, that, uh, Dottie Rambo and and Barry Maguire wrote together, Bullfrogs, butterflies, we've both been born again. Uh, And so uh, that's as close to a song as you can get from me. And and so that idea of, of, of actually... Made new, something different. We've become children of God. A unique thing. And so, as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, the purpose is to be transformed so that we we won't be conformed to the way the world does things. So we won't build like the world. In our transformation, we've learned to build in the kingdom of God. And we build with the purpose of glorifying God. And again, it's not an event. It's a process. It's something that we work on all of our lives. As the transformation occurs, I believe that if I were to say what Paul is is looking at here would be that the more the transformation occurs in our lives, the more we are building with gold, silver, and precious stone if we choose to drag our feet in our transformation and just not participate and, and, and not lean into it the way God would have us do, uh, we tend to produce more wood, hay, and straw. 
So again, this process of transformation, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, it's not something that is insignificant in just a few verses. It's a, a real pointed part of our Christian walk. It's, it's a real important thing. And to keep us on track is the idea of self-examination. There's uh, uh, this word in particular that is used in, in Colossians. It's used frequently and it's also used, I, I've already mentioned, with the idea of to prove or to test. So it's got a wide range of use. Uh, I'm, always, I'm always writing the Strong's number down so I can look up things. I'm not the great scholar I'd like to be in the Greek language. But if you want the strongest number, it's 1381. just happens to be here. Uh, but this idea of to examine is, is tested, proved or approved, tried by fire and thus purified. In order to, to self-examine, we must be willing to be examined by God, however He chooses. But it will ultimately be by fire. I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it. The word used to examine, test, is the same uh, is the same for testing precious metals, especially gold and silver. Now I'm not a metallurgist, and, and I'm not into into. I, I don't. I have actually melted down silver, but I've never melted down gold. And I, I know the idea is basically the same. As you melt it down, the dross or the impurities flow to the top. They're pulled off, and and then it's, it sets, and then you do it again and again and again. And there was, a, if you were good at the process, and this was how you're calling to do this as a, as a, a work, uh, the average melting down and, and, and process was like seven times for gold before you got down to what they would agree to is, is pure. And as it's wet, as it's, as, as it's melted down, when it gets to that stage, I've never seen this, so I'm, I'm taking a metallurgist article word for it. It's almost like glass in the sense of looking into it. You can actually see your reflection because the dross is gone and you've got pure gold. At that point, you know you've achieved your, your, your goal. Okay, and, and, and so this is the word that is used here for the idea of examining and it is, is, is a full picture of it is that it goes both ways. As we examine ourselves, we are inviting God also to examine us. In fact, the reality is we are not even capable of examining ourselves. And there is a caution that goes in with this in the sense of be careful. Don't get too reliant on your ability to self-exam. Realize that it's through the Holy Spirit in you that you're able to do this. And so we really have to be like David and call on God. And in the, even in the process of self-exam, we don't turn around and say, well, let's see, uh, A, B, C, I did a checklist of, of one to five. I was a four. You know, uh, it's to call on the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, look at me, examine me, open my heart and my mind to the things that need to be changed. It's interesting, too, uh, just uh, if you go to Peter and look at it, one part here where it's, it talks about our faith and, and, it's, and it's being tested, uh, our faith is actually more precious than gold, you know, as God looks at it. Uh, and so just, a, uh, just as gold is refining to become pure, so our faith needs to be made uh, to become stronger, needs to be tested as well. 
And so the, to me, I thought about that when I read that, and it took me back to Romans chapter 5, uh, verses again we're familiar with, but it's good to review. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's joy and, and, and glory of God tied together again. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Our sufferings are things that test, try, purify, if you will, our faith. Now, we don't think about it that way as we go through it, but God is allowing things to happen in our life that will ultimately get rid of the dross and solidify the the purity of our faith in Him. And so, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing... Now, understand, I don't rejoice in the actual act of the suffering. I rejoice in the knowledge of knowing what the suffering is going to accomplish. Did you catch that? Because some people get the idea that we're supposed to run around with these plastic smiles on our face continuously no matter what's going on around us. And that's not what it's saying. There's times where we are even to weep together. You know, and, and there's times of pain and sorrow and grief and sadness. So don't, don't misunderstand that. But in the process, even in those moments, we know that suffering produces something in us. And it's the idea of endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so even as we are tried, as even as we go through the the, the, the process of purification, if you will, as, as, as we go through all of this, we have this hope in us that we know that God is still with us. I've had opportunity over the last several years to, to be involved in a number of people's lives when there's been grief, tragedy, and health issues. And... I have to confess that even in my own, when somebody comes along and puts their arm over my shoulder and, 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 and comes along and says, Romans 8.28, Bob, we know all things work together for... I have to tell you there's times where that sounds more trite than, than comforting. Meaning that, that in my grief and my process and where I'm at at that point, you know, because... I really do know that. But sometimes my grief gets ahead of that. And, and, and still in the back of my head, is that truth? I do know this. I do know this. And I hang on to the reality that even in the midst of some of the worst things I could think of to go through, and as I've helped other people walk through the tragedies and and, and, and physical sufferings in their lives, I know that on the other side of it, we will be able to rest with the confidence that God is doing something beyond us and that He is shaping and molding us. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to be transformed so we're not conformed to the world so that we can build on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stone. 
with the goal to glorify God and to enjoy Him more. And like I said, keeping this on track is this idea of self-examination and realizing that it's the inclusion of God in the process because without Him we would blow it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10 says, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And again, uh, this idea of, of, of examining. What, Lord, what is it that will please You? What is it that will bless You? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. And the idea is, use me, God, to do that. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11 the idea in verse 9 is that we're growing in love and knowledge and discernment so that we may approve, that we may test, that we may show, if you will, and it's that word again, what is excellent. And so that we may be pure and blameless. For the day of Christ is coming. You know, so we want to be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. That's the judgment seat of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Now, just a side note here, self-examination is not only about what's going out in the sense of building this way, we also are to examine carefully what is coming in. This is much harder in a sense because it definitely is so broad and sweeping that it makes us think and it should make us think about every aspect of what's going on in our lives. I've read it frequently to you and I always I, I tell people to remember, this is the Word of God. It's not some idea of mine. <laughs> because John writes something I think is very, very strong. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. The spirit of the Antichrist is now in the world already. What he's saying here is that Everything that has an influence on you, test it. Where do we test it? What do we test it against? The Word of God. And with the foremost picture, the Gospel. Does it support the foundation that has been laid? The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Does it confess Jesus Christ? And again, he put it this way, confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. Does it confess this? And if it doesn't, then know that this source is not of God. Be careful how it influences you. Now, the only way to, and this is even not going to work, but the only way that man has come up with, in a sense, to try to avoid having anything that's not of God around them is to go into a cloistered kind of monastery monk life that separates itself from the world and has nothing to do with it and tries to, to do everything. But the problem is is that they are men and so they've already brought fallenness into the walls with them 
And so they're still going to have to test everything, no matter what. They're going to have to test each other, and they're still going to have problems because we have a, 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 a fallen body of Adam that still has that sin, lust, and desire with it. And so this is, you know, Jesus didn't say go hide yourself. He said be a light into the world. So, but the idea, we're in the world, but not of it. Don't, you're not supposed to go out and hide yourself, but beware. As these things are, are looked at, as these things come into your life, check them out. How many of them? All of them. Is it wrong for me to read Shakespeare? Does Shakespeare write to glorify God? <laughs> there might be some things in there that, you, that might re- reflect the background that comes into that or a culture or whatever. But in general, he's writing stories to entertain. He was a, uh, he was a, uh, a, a, the, he was the TV writer of of his era. He wasn't writing to to entertain the upper crust. Isn't that an amazing thing that people that are Shakespeareans now, whoa, they understood Shakespeare. Look at, there's a question on 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 Jeopardy. <laughs> you know, do you know the answer to this Shakespeare question? Uh, and, and there's there's certain festivals and stuff like that, and people. You know, they pay great money to go to these festivals and they play, you know, to go see these plays. And, and generally speaking, it's not, you know, it becomes, it's almost become the upper crust kind of thing, going to the opera, going to Shakespeare, going to the theater. And, and the irony was is that it was written for the common man at the time of Shakespeare. And it was written to entertain. Okay, so, and some of it is, is if you really get into it and want to understand it, some of it is, 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 well, we'll just leave it there. Some of it represents very similar entertainment that comes from television today. Uh, but, but so is it wrong for me to read Shakespeare? We call it the classics today. I, I was required to take European literature in, in college. And in one of the, the, one of the three parts, it was a, a, a 101, 102, 103 type of thing, and, and, and the third part was Shakespearean literature. I actually finally found out why my uncle got his doctorate in Shakespearean literature and has taught all over the world with it. He, getting Christmas presents from him, though, was, as a kid, getting a book about Shakespeare just... What am I to do? And, this, I, and, and I credit Tozer with this, A.W. Tozer. He doesn't find anything wrong with you reading Shakespeare, but his way of saying it would be do it on your knees. Meaning, pray as, you, as you're going along, Lord, protect me and use this for me to understand the world I'm to be a light in. Now, that's not free... Permission to then say, well, then I need to go see X-rated movies so that I can understand the world that I, I'm, I'm supposed to be a light in. No, that's not what we're talking about. I know a gentleman who had a mission. This is his own words. Had a mission in Las Vegas to the show people. And he was frequently backstage ministering to these people and sharing Christ with them. His ministry went on for 20-some years. 
And it turns out for almost all of those years, he was having problems. But he said, this is where God has put me. No, that, that, at that point, you know, we, we need to, to be wise about this. But the idea is, is that, you know, we, we are not, we, we can't, this is one of those areas where we're not to turn around and judge everybody else. In fact, Tozier was judged because he promoted at times, you know, uh, kind of a renaissance look at things. And, and the idea of art, and, and another person that was, is like, was into this as well would, would be Francis Schaeffer. And there was some heavy criticism coming towards them at times because they were almost too liberal here. That wasn't their point. Their point was that, that uh, you know, you need to use John as your guide here and, and test it. Where is it coming from? What's its purpose? And then view it accordingly. And do you believe that God can protect you through this? You know, And, and this is, is just part of this picture of self-exam. Again, you're not going to be capable of doing this without what? The Holy Spirit working in you. In fact, I believe that it's the Holy Spirit doing the whole thing. We have taken, so we've taken this brief view of it, but, but coming back to this, this verse in 1 Corinthians 11.28, examine yourself in reference to, to taking communion. Uh, would I'd Go back to this. Uh, some of the information that I've got here, uh, well, it was interesting. As I was looking up uh, several people, I got, uh, I, when I look at things like this, sometimes I'm, I, I tend to drift back towards the older commentaries and older uh, writers and, and, and theologians. Uh, and part of that is because they've been, they've been tested over time. You know, and, and you can, you know, it's kind of the idea. I was taught by what they were called the dinosaurs at the Bible college that I went to because they were the old teachers. That they, you know, they were all using these these commentaries that went back into the 1800s and writers that were in the 1600s, 1700s, and part of the Reformation. And and, and so, uh, as you go back, they, all of them had something like this in a sense of a list of things that you needed to do as you approached the table, the communion table to be ready to, re, to do communion. And the idea is, is that communion is a unique point in the Christian's life as we come to the table where we are in fellowship together and with Christ in a very special way. And so Paul is saying, this isn't something to be taken lightly. Uh, the, the, the people in Corinth were were abusing it, if you will, in the sense of the way they looked at it. By the time they were getting to the point of, of sharing and communion, some of them had, were, were definitely overfull, and not overfull only of food, uh, but overfull of wine as well. And, and they weren't honoring Christ in it as much as, the, you know, as it became you know, something that was almost too casual at, at best. And... and, and, and Paul's saying, you know, it's, it's, it's a special time. So you need to be, exam you know, one of the things he says, you need to examine yourself as you prepare. By the way, when are you supposed to do this? I mentioned this, I think, last week. But when are you supposed to do this? Not, right, not just before the communion on Sunday morning. This is something that you're be, <laughs> what was that, Arlene? <laughs> Preach it, sister. Uh, you know, it's to be something that we do all the time. But I don't hesitate to say that, you know, Sunday morning before you've come to church, maybe that you're a little prayed up and, and worked on this a little, you know. 
Someone says, well, I don't have time. Well, then, you know, you're looking for an extra 10 or 15 minutes earlier then. Well, I'm tired. Well, then go to, you know, I, you know, um, yeah, the, the idea is, is that this is important. That's what Paul is trying to say. Let's not make it insignificant. This is important. And it's not, it doesn't become insignificant by frequency. If that's the case, then preaching the Word should become insignificant too. Am I right? We do that. We use the Bible every every Sunday. Okay, communion should have an impact to the believer that doesn't have to take a lot of work to get you worked up for it, because you're in it in a sense of state of mind. How often? All week long. If we do it every week. First thing on all their lists again is self-examination. And, I, and I, one of them says, you must be a believer. Okay? In order to get anything out of communion, you must be a believer. Now, I know that, that, that the idea of, of well, somebody that, that's not a believer drinking communion is increasing their judgment. I'm going to suggest to you that since they don't know Christ, that's a moot point. Because the only thing they're going to be judged on before the throne of God is what did you do with Christ? Not how many times you took communion without knowing Him. Okay, so so the real issue here is 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 for us, and 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 to assess ourselves and to look at it, and and you know so self examination. I t- I've always kind of taken must be a believer as for granted, but it appeared on more than uh, one person's list, and I thought well, maybe I'm, I should be more careful with this. And the idea of self examination, a number of them pointed out, this is something hard for us to do. Again, without the Holy Spirit, we'll not succeed. And even with the Holy Spirit in us, we tend to overtake it ourselves in a sense. And, and, it, and it reminded me, that, that one person put, the eye can see everything but itself. I think that was uh, Thomas Watson, a, pre, uh, a Puritan from the 1600s. The eye can see everything but itself. And it made me think of another Dottie Rambo song, I Trouble, for kids. I've got me, myself, and I Trouble. And... The, it's easy to, to see. In fact, Jesus talks about it. It's pretty easy to see the fault in someone else, but beware of judging that before you look at yourself and realize how much sin is in your life. He narrowed it down to a simple visual, beam, splinter in your friend's eye, speck. You're trying to get it out with this beam standing between you. And you'd be really worried with me because i got such short arms, I'm going to be whacking you with the beam that's in my eyes. But But... That idea of uh, uh, it's difficult to do. We need to start with, Lord, search me. Self-examination. We all have eye trouble. And again, I've mentioned this already, but don't depend on your own ability to do this. In uh, Philippians chapter uh, 2, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. This is the idea of sanctification with fear and trembling, for it is God. Work it out, but it's actually God, for it is God who works in you. 
You can't work out your salvation without God being in you doing it. Both to will. How's He doing it? He's, he's, he's creating the will and, and to work for His good pleasure. He's creating the desire. Uh, uh, Tozer again put it, give me the desire to desire you and the want to want you. So remember that we, it requires the God in us to be successful at this. And the idea, too, comes up frequently, and I, I, I'll just put it using the, the phrase that, the, again, Thomas Watson used, was we need to have serious hearts. And what he meant by that was uh, that we are conscious of, of, of what we are doing as something that is special, especially in communion, but this idea of coming before God in worship collectively together, it's something that the church shares literally around the world. The whole church shares. There's even people I remember hearing um, uh, two uh, Christian people uh, that were in the Iran airplane crisis uh, where the the airplane was captured back in the, the 70s and and uh, there were several, you know, a few hundred people that were prisoners. And these guys, they were in the same cell together, and they were both Christians, and they used the water and the bread to, for communion. Somebody says, well, that wasn't fruit of the vine. At this point, I think God honored everything that they were doing because they came with a serious heart. This is something we do together so that we... We know that our brothers and our sisters are doing this. We're united with them even here. And they can't take that away from us. And so this idea of a serious heart. uh, Communion is a special time that we spend together with Christ. And Paul makes it clear that to participate requires this, this commitment to have an ongoing relationship with God in the sense of, of examination, examining ourselves. And with that idea of serious hearts is, is hearts that long for. And, and what I mean by this is there's certain things that become clear. For instance, Paul tells us that we are to do this as often as we do it until Christ comes again. We have hearts that long for the coming of Christ. And man, when you think about it, there's some awesome things that come with that. I was reading in Isaiah chapter 25, uh, and we don't normally turn to Old Testament pictures uh, for, for uh, uh, things about heaven. We normally turn to Revelation, but let me share this with you. Isaiah 25, verse 6, and I'm, I'm picking up in the middle of this, so you actually could go back and, and read the, the first five verses. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow of aged wine, well-refined. And we, shall, and we will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. Sound familiar? We, we see this in Revelation. Wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. 
and, and you know, the longing hearts. But also within the framework of our longing hearts is our hearts that hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst after, first off, is righteousness. That's a, one of the Beatitudes. And, and, but, but also the, a heart that seeks Him. Not just for salvation, but seeks Him continuously. As we are evaluating this way, remember, we, the idea is to cause us to want to know Him better, to seek after Him. And He promises absolutely that as we seek Him, and I believe this in the sense of growing in Him, we will find Him. As we want to grow in Him and know Him, this isn't just an evangelistic thing initially for salvation. It's an ongoing process. As I knock on His door to know Him better, He opens His door. As, as I seek Him, he, he says, you will find Me. As I ask, He, he delivers we're not talking about swimming pools as we ask and He delivers. We're talking about relationship and knowing Him and, 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 and through the Holy Spirit in me, drawing close to Him. You really want to do that? It will happen. Because the Holy Spirit in you will confirm it and want you to do it and it will be in agreement. And it pleases God. Hearts that long after Him, desire Him, Seek Him out. How about, you know, briefly, you know, uh, coming with loving hearts? Paul makes a big issue about, uh, you know, the love, of God, the love of God in us and talks about it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Very clearly. Our love is, is the desire, of, in a sense, to be at peace. Hearts that are at peace with, with, well, with God first, through Christ and our salvation, but also with others as a result of that. And even with yourself. Can you come to communion and any other time with the confidence that if I have blown it, if I confess my sins, He will forgive me of my sins and restore me to all righteousness? Can I come with that confidence that I can even be at peace here with me. And all of this is done in prayer. So we need to come, I guess, with, with the idea of, of prayer as an important part of all of this. You read Hebrews 4.16 this morning. You didn't know it was written here down on the last page of my notes. But when it says to approach His throne, the idea is coming before His throne continuously, by the way, with the idea of, of prayer. How do we approach the throne of God? I, I don't literally walk up to it and stand in front of it. How do I approach it? I approach it in worship, prayer, and song. All of that is so interrelated that I can say prayer and almost cover it all. And I get to do it, as, as, as Levi read this morning out of, out of 4.16 of Hebrews, I get to do it with an absolute confidence. Another word for that is a boldness. Now, it's not brash boldness. Hey, Lord! <laughs> you know, no, it, it comes with the humility of knowing who I am before the throne of God and that I don't deserve to be there. But still, to know because of the blood of Christ in me, because He is working in me and, and the desire of my heart is being transformed and I'm being not conformed to the world, but conformed to the Christ-likeness, 
that as I approach his throne, I can come with confidence that, that he will hear me. And what do I come in, 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 in request for? Mercy and grace. To be thankful for it. To indulge in it more. <laughs> to, to pray it over my family. To pray it over my friends. To pray it over uh, an unsaved world. We draw near to the throne of grace, it says, to receive mercy and grace. I'm going to stop right there for, and we're going to go into communion right now. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, as, as the ushers come forward to, to pass the communion out, uh, as we sing and all of that goes with that, but but be thinking here. The God of all creation has set this before us to draw us together and ask the Lord. I think it's a fair thing to, Lord, to ask for all of us, no matter how close you are in your relationship with to ask the Lord to cause you to be more committed to allowing Him to examine you and reveal to you the things that need to be different in your life. And believe me, if you're going to try to fix those on your own, you're going to be just as in much trouble as if you were trying to do all of this on your own. And then ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to have victory. Ask the, the song team to come up and, and the worship team to come up and uh, the ushers, please. Take 
song. That's one of my favorite songs because it's, it's that idea um, and it's one of these things where I'm not sure where the thought ever came from, whether it was something I read that I put together or whatever, but I just know that this is, this is the reality. Christ did not die on the cross for us to visit the Holy of Holies. I want you to think about that. It wasn't something where, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll visit there occasionally. He wants us to dwell there with Him. In the house of the Lord I will dwell. You know, anyway, it's just the idea of, of, of approaching it and realizing he, we're invited to live with Him there. Even now in the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, we're invited to live with Him there. And I recall A.W. Tozer saying it's a sad thing that, that we live our lives trying to catch a glimpse of it. When we were invited in. And how do we stay there? And, and how do we dwell there? By continually going through this examining process. By continually asking the Lord to cleanse us. And I, by the way, you're never going to have an opportunity to be examined and not find that you need cleansing. It won't happen. But isn't it awesome that the blood of Christ has, has, has prepared it in such a way that we can come even with our, our, our filthy rags in a boldness to say thank you for the mercy and grace and then ask Him to pour it out on us even more. And that's perfectly right. What an awesome thought we have. The night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that He was taken prisoner, He 
shared the supper with the, the disciples. And in it, he took the bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and he passed it to the disciples. And he gave them a picture that it would represent from that point on his body given for them. And he asked as often as this would be shared. And into the future, Paul makes it very clear until he comes again that we would share this bread in His name and in His memory. It was enough of a sacrifice when you think about it that Jesus would would empty Himself and leave heaven in the place at the Father's right hand and, and and, and come to earth, that that would be sufficient sacrifice. But it wasn't. Christ knew before the foundation of the world God had this plan and it would be that the Son of God would ha- allow him Himself to be sacrificed to the point that His blood would be poured out. His life would be poured out. He would give His life so that we could have life. So that we could say a phrase that Paul writes in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that what is mortal this physical body will be swallowed up by what is life. And we can have that confidence. And so Jesus said that we would look at this cup until He comes again as His sacrifice, His blood poured out to purchase our salvation and that we would do it in His name in remembrance of Him. Father, we continue to thank You this morning. And we would ask that You would create in us a heart that desires to cry out with every sin that, that prayer of, 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 of David and that cry of, of David in Psalm 52, create in me a clean heart, Lord. And we realize that we're so full of ourselves that it doesn't take us long to need that again and again and again. And we realize, Lord that we will be going through this process until You come again or until we die and and join You in heaven. And so we ask, Lord, that that You would give us the willingness to pursue You and to seek Your grace, to seek Your mercy, to seek Your forgiveness, and and then have the desire to pass that on to everyone we come into contact with. That they might come to know You. We worship You, we praise You, and we thank You for the grace that You have lavished on us, the mercy You've poured out on us. In Jesus' name, Amen.